my mom always says, you have nothing good to, to say about somebody, then don't say it at all. Exactly. I don't have a lot of good things to say about Putin right now, but we'll, well, we'll go from there. I think uh, you're in the same boat with a lot of other people. The, the issue here is that somebody who is affected the way that you are, and I think that's what really drew me to you and, and your story. I saw the wonderful piece that Beth Ann wrote about you uh, that was published this morning. I'll make sure I put the link in the show notes for that because we love Beth Ann and anything that she writes is usually completely spot on. Let's get it started with, tell us a little about yourself. Yeah, um, so I was born in Zveni Barolka, Ukraine, which is in the Chukasi Oblast, and then um, grew up in that baby orphanage. I, I got adopt, uh, I got put in the orphanage uh, from the hospital, and then I moved to a different orphanage still in Chukasi, the city uh, called Uman. And I lived there for uh, four and a half years until I was adopted when I was almost seven. What a story. So real quick, like for somebody who has no clue where these locations are actually at in Ukraine, could you help us out a little bit, kind of close to Kiev, close to some major landmarks that the the mass general would know? Mm -hmm. Uh, So Chukasi is south of Kiev. I want to say probably 60 miles south of Kiev. And then the little town that I was, that I grew up in is about 30 to 45 minutes west of Chukasi. So in the middle of nowhere, Chukasi is on the Dnieper uh, River, uh, which is, uh, goes from Chernobyl, then Kiev, then Chukasi. And then uh, if you look on a map, a little bit left of Chukasi is, um, is where I'm from. All right. And now you went from Chikasi, Ukraine, to living in the great state of Tennessee. Long, long, wrong road. Uh, absolutely. I, I got adopted by some South African uh, parents. They brought me to Birmingham, Alabama. And so I grew up in Birmingham for a long time uh, until 2017. And then I moved here, uh, got married or a new job and moved to a different state all in the same uh, week. In the same week? It was nuts. It was crazy. Well, if you're going to do change, you might as well do it all at the same time, right? Do it all at the same time, get out of the way and uh, and go go from there. Okay. So this is going to be like pretty, you have a personal story and you've done amazing with sharing it. And, like, it's one of those things, like, I can't relate to it at all. And I think the world's eyes now are on Ukraine just based off of completely reckless and, uh, you know, uncalled for not just provocation but a a complete invasion uh, and hostile takeover by Russia. But your story is is different, and it goes into a lot of different buckets. Not only you talked about growing up in an orphanage, um, but there's also, like, birth, you know, disabilities that you've had since birth uh, that play a big role in your story. So I'll say this, like growing up or even like through now, do you know your birth parents? 
No, I don't. I uh, they signed over the paperwork when um, it was still in the hospital, and so in my head, in my mind, my birth parents are my you know adopted parents. Really, haven't ever had the passion or desire to uh, reconnect or try to find them. No. Right, and then I think one of the the key things here because we're gonna get to like talking about how phenomenal of a golfer you are, which. T- kind of fits into this like I know it's a major part of your life and your story uh and using it as a as a vehicle rightfully so now to to shed light on a great cause but man like Alex you have one arm how are you how are you as good at golf as you are and like kind of walk me walk me through this I know it you were born this is how you were born correct yeah, so due to uh, the Chernobyl disaster and the radiation cloud and uh, the materials, waste materials getting into the river, into the Dnieper River, traveled south. And actually, if you look at the cloud, it affected more of uh, Russia and Poland uh, than it did Ukraine, but it still had a huge effect on Ukraine. I was born with a cleft lip and palate and with uh, one arm. And uh, above the uh, humoral joint, is that the correct word? I can't, I can't remember all the. I, I wasn't. Yeah, still. I wasn't very good in like high school biology, so I don't. I don't. Sure, sounds good. Not great. I, sh- I should know it, but um, <laughs> I was born uh, born with that and grew up fighting for food uh, every day um, because we had soup uh, for food, and it's very hard to have soup to eat soup uh with a hole in your mouth right so what i mean (laughs) what what did you do try to find just anything else anything Uh, i remember sneaking into the kitchen late at night um the neighbors had a it was crazy they had apple trees uh because you would uh climb over the fence and try to sneak some apple apples a few times that you got um, bread and stuff, you would just hoard it and try to hide it in your pockets. And I remember May at night, uh, I pulled out pieces of bread under the pillow that I had. So, wow, it's incredible. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, I weighed 34 and a half pounds when I was seven when I came to my first doctor's visit in America. So. Wow. And I guess kind of like, the way that you were born, are these normal like causes based off of of the Chernobyl disaster? Like, is this a, a common occurrence for other children that were born same area around the same time? Yes, sir. Yeah, same area, same time. Um, you've got missing arms, legs, um, a lot of cleft lip and palate uh, because it is a soft um, tissue area when it's developing. Because uh, so you so many cleft lip and palates that um, you see um, due to the radiation. So that's kind of what's been scaring me. Um, Putin's been bombing the largest nuclear facility in Europe. And I'm like, do you not remember what happened in Chernobyl? <laughs> and it's, it's, it's not funny. It's ironic because it would affect his people more than it would affect anybody else in Europe. Well, that's the thing that it's kind of like, for my optic at least, looking in is that he, he there is no 
thought. There is no worry or concern from him, not only for like his troops or his troop safety, but also the effects and spillage that would occur into Russia. Correct. Yeah. No, um, when you're dealing with a person who has no, I don't know, he just has no regard for humanity. Um, and that's hard to reason with people like that. Uh, unfortunately, the, the way you, you punch back a bully is by, you know, fighting a bully is by punching him back. Right. That's the thing, though, is that, you, you know, the Ukrainian people, your people, are doing a phenomenal job. And I know this is just the way that they are. This is how you're raised. Just like, you know, I think it's a lot of, like, the patriotism that America feels if anything would ever happen, but we're watching it play out and and you're expecting like kind of the world to come and support and back. And it just kind of seems like Ukraine's out there doing everything that they had. And then they turn to like, Hey guys, like, you know, you're always saying we're here to help. Where where are you at? And they're just kind of like, yeah, like, hi, let us know. We'll put more sanctions on. I saw right. that from uh, the Business Journal about the sanctions that they put on the billionaires in uh, in Russia, and one of the billionaires actually made money wow. <laughs> with the sanctions. Yeah, I, I saw not, that too. I'm not sure how that the, you call that. Okay, cool. the list of oligarchs. There's like one of them that like profited like 0.1 percent since sanctions yeah. have been levied. Other ones have had you know. Pretty big losses, but the fact that one yeah. like actually gained money, you're like, what is actually going on? Maybe we need to relook this a little bit. Yeah, I, I um, again, I, I will always say, I, I don't think American troops need to die for this, um, but we would love some abandoned F-18s or, you know, whatever you got that you're not using currently would, would definitely be helpful. Yeah, absolutely. So part of that now is you, obviously, your your homeland. You you feel personally affected with this. I know you still have friends and family uh, that are there that are directly affected by this, and you feel this calling and kind of talk us through what your thought process was. I know that uh, originally you were you are gone. You're going to go uh, take up arms and go fight and kind of uh, pivoted to where, where we're at now. So walk me through that. Yeah, I, um, I've i got a friend who got you doing documentary on me. And I, like I said, I was, I was ready to go and I have ways to get there. And I've got friends who would love my help. And you know, they, they were asking if I was coming. And, and um, Fortunately, I've got a beautiful wife and a daughter, um, one-year-old daughter that she's absolutely amazing. And I've got some good friends. And he said, "Hey, you know what? I work for a bacon company, and we do shirts. And I think if we if we raise funds for shirts for Hope Now, I think uh, you'll have a bigger impact doing that than picking up a gun." And so. Um, I agree to, to try out and, and look, see how much money we could raise for Hope Now, which is uh, the orphanage system uh, organization that helped uh, find me with my parents. Okay, great. So how are we doing so far in like the, the charitable process? I got word $10,000 already. And awesome. It's only been, I think, eight days. 
There you go. And that's with Shirk and um, donation directly with Hope Now. So um, just keep trying to get the word out to as many people as possible. And, um, and yeah, go from there. Yeah. And like, I guess we say like $10,000 is a lot of money. That's phenomenal work and, and huge kudos and congratulations to you. But what is that actually like equal? What does that mean for Hope Now? Yeah, I uh, I actually got off the phone with the lady who's there uh, in Chicago right now. It costs five thousand dollars to uh, for a total trip, plus getting the kick over the border because you gotta do some bribing uh, at the border as well, uh, which people won't tell you. But it costs five thousand dollars to transport forty nine kids, and they're I'm not telling you where they are right now, but they're on their way to a neighboring country. Um, as we speak, and so that's you know uh, that's halfway basically. Um, another it's 40, there's a hundred total, and forty nine got um, transported today. So uh, the hardest thing is finding buses and people who will uh, be willing to drive uh, through <laughs> through the war zone with uh, forty nine kids. Right, absolutely. And for people who and are hearing this, halfway. Yeah, people are hearing this and, and obviously why we're doing this podcast outside of getting your story, but really trying to generate more support and more eyeballs on the actual cause. The best place probably to go to your website, and that's singlehandgolf.com. Buy a t-shirt, very easy process to purchase. There's a tab there that you can donate direct funds if you, if you want to go over and above. Uh, you know, the t-shirt purchase and, and all money, uh, like Alex said, is going to hope now to help the rest of them hopefully, you know, get out. And I think this is probably just a start, you know, that's who that 100 number is what was there at the, at the beginning of this conflict and trying to get them all to safe spot across the border, uh, and hopefully a, a continued shot at living a somewhat normal life that every child deserves. But the spillage and turnover of the events that continue to, you know, be ongoing is going to result in a lot of more orphans, unfortunately. Yeah, they're projecting 100,000 new orphans by the end of the conflict. And so I want to help, you know, get them out right now as as soon as we can, get them out, get them safe. Um, And then... We're going to team up with some uh, people uh, to start rebuilding um, because I, they'll have nothing to come back to. Um, because, like I said, Putin's targeting orphanages, hospitals, kindergarten, schools, um, you name it, um, he's targeting them. And so uh, these orphans, uh, you know, the ones that will lose their parents um, due to war, um, will have nowhere to go. Um, and so uh, they'll have to come back, um, and what will they come back to? And and that's what you know we're turning our attention to uh, next. But the first goal is to get them all out. Right. Yeah, it's it's heartbreaking, really. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I, unfortunately, I I got people you know boots on the ground and they're sending me pictures, and I'll send you pictures as well, um, where you know they're. 
but a lot of the pictures I see, you know, these kids have smiles on their faces, uh, which is huge for me. It's like, yeah. you know, you're living in a war zone, uh, and you know that there's, um, there's a better place outside, uh, and they're just happy to get out. So. Yeah. So before they left, I, and, and you talking to the director of the, the orphanage oh, that man, you're yeah. from, yeah. I, I guess what was the status of the facilities and have they been affected so far? Um, so the crazy, the Chikasi hasn't gotten hit that hard, uh, but it has gotten hit. Uh, none of the, the orphanage where I'm from has not gotten hit, but around there, absolutely. Rockets have been uh, fired on, on places. They're going after hospitals uh, right now, which is crazy. And then they're going after colleges and bigger schooling uh, institutions, but they're, they're still having their eyes on, on the orphanages. Right. It, it seems like so, they're going... Um, every sort of facility structure that, that provides normal routine life or protection and safe harboring against, you know, what, what you would expect things in war to not be targeted, he's just continuing yeah. to, to I mean, identify that. War crime after war crime after yes. war crime after war crime. And uh, um, I, I call that the Hague, which is the Justice Department of the world here in uh, the Netherlands. They're ruling on uh, on him. And uh, I think that on the 16th, which is what, tomorrow? Yep, tomorrow. And so they're ruling that. And you would think they would rule it a little quicker. But, uh, yeah, right now all we can do is pray. Uh, yeah, I pray for a change of heart. Um, and sometimes I pray for other things for Putin that I can't say. Uh, but right now, I, I think a change of heart um, is really the only thing that will stop him. Yeah, I agree. And again, so people, please go to the website, singlehandgolf.com, buy a T-shirt, donate if you're able, uh, and continue to support the the great cause that Alex is, you know, he, he's got a, a team with him, but single-handedly being the the focal point of it and, and continuing to drive this but yeah absolutely turning on yeah let's talk golf turning on this alex you at seven years old you're you were adopted you said by uh the couples from south africa How, where did birmingham come from what what's going on in birmingham that i'm missing yeah, so my dad was a missionary to America. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Which normally you don't really, but um, he wanted to get his uh, seminary degree in um, in America. And I think they were looking in Dallas. And then there's a school called Sanford, and it has um, a, it's called Peace and Divinity School. And uh, they went there and they loved it. My dad started preaching and got involved in the church um, in Birmingham. They decided to stay and they had been trying to have kids. Crazy story for seven years. And they had known Vic, the guy who found me in South Africa, because Vic was doing orphanages in Ukraine, England, and South Africa. And so after uh, seven years, they finally had like, um, we're not giving up on a kid, but we're, we're going to, you know, out try and do the in vitro and all that. And there's Saturday night that they said, you know, if we get the results back negative, then, um, you know, God has other pl plans for us. Well, that next Sunday morning, they actually heard about me, which is pretty cool. 
Oh, yeah, and then the next Sunday was Mother's Day, and they got to meet me in England as I was recovering from cleft lip and palate surgery. That's incredible. So, I'm a Ukrainian, and I don't sound like one at all. I've got the most southern accent a Ukrainian could have. <laughs> <laughs> So in those early days, what was it like, uh, like living in Alabama, first of all, but like I, I'm sure a complete culture shock from recovering from surgery and moving to a new country? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my parents always said that I went from communism to capitalism in one trip to Walmart. Uh, so it was very quick. It was easy. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll let you laugh. That's a, that's a good one. Um very easy, very quick. Um, I was just grateful not to be in Ukraine. I know that sounds horrible, in an orphanage. So I had my first bed that was mine. I had clothes that was mine for the first time. I had food that was mine. You know? um, I had a dog that was mine for the first time. So lots of learning what uh, ownership was because you had nothing in, in Ukraine. They sent me to America with the clothes on my back. Um, which is, you know, it's one of those things. But yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I, we talked about it a little bit, but you said that you were in, in London recovering from surgery to fix the, the cleft palate. Is that the only surgery that you ended up having on it or were there a couple more? No, I've had 23 surgeries total. So I, uh, the, the one in London was the first one. Um, and then I came to America and I think I had like five or six the first year. I think I had two within the first month of being in America, um, which was pretty funny. Yeah. What a, what a change. So were you put like immediately into school or were you homeschooled or? Yeah, I was, which is kind of crazy. And my parents, you know, thinking back on it now, I, I went straight to, uh, kindergarten which was another giant place that looked exactly like the orphanage, just instead of white, it was brown. And they didn't even think about it. And it's a joke now, but they're like, oh, Lord, yeah, we just took him from an orphanage and put him into a school, which is basically the same thing. <laughs> right. And even then, like, I, I assume that, like, you know, the good thing is, is that you are still young enough and like your brain is just a sponge. So learning English and learning everything else, I'm sure it didn't take you long. No, it took me about six months to learn English. Uh, and then it took me about, oh, it only took me six weeks to learn to communicate with parents. And the funny thing is I, uh, my parents learned Ukrainian, a little bit of Ukrainian and a little bit of Russian because of the orphanage was so in the country that the older ladies who took care of me spoke Russian because of the fall of the USSR. They, they were still speaking Russian. And then the younger ladies uh, were speaking Ukrainian. And so um, I learned both. I know I don't know both, but I'm learning, I'm relearning Ukrainian. Uh, and then, yeah, my parents were excited to speak with me and then I kind of shut that off. Um, but I don't know why, but I didn't speak Ukrainian or Russian to them. I only wanted to speak English. And somewhere along the way, you just like all normal little kids, I guess you learn in learning English and decide to pick up a golf club at the same time. 
Yeah. So my dad took me week one, took me fishing and golfing uh, to a driving range. I still remember in Bessemer. Um, it was uh, Lee Harper's driving range. And uh, Lee actually uh, cut down a club for me. I remember it was a silver three-wood, I think Taylor made, and he cut it down and I started sw- swinging away. Did your dad, uh, was he like an avid golfer or was he kind of picking you up at the same time? He's very good. He was a very good athlete. He played, um, I think, 15 different sports in college in South Africa. And so he's super athletic. And so he wanted me to try everything. Tennis, golf, racquetball, croquet. Uh, I mean, just you name it, he wanted me to try. And, um, and so it was it was a lot of fun just learning. Um, cause I, and I, I mean, I get my competitive spirit from him, um, I think. Uh, just try to beat him and win and have fun and learn how to play sports and fishing and hunting and, and all that, all the good southern things. Yeah, exactly. So in the beginning, though, I'm guessing just from the way that they are and the way that they've raised you, that at no point in time has has anybody in your life ever treated the disabilities that you have as like a a crutch for you. It has been a hundred percent. You can do this the whole entire time. My hashtag is no Velcro, which means I had a pair of Velcro shoes that my parents got me. They think it would be really easy for me and helpful and stuff. And I uh, got home from kindergarten one day, and I was a little bit older than the kids, and they were all wearing shoes with shoelaces. And I was like, I want to be able to tie my shoes. So I spent one day in my room behind closed doors learning how to tie a shoe with my hand or you know with my arm and uh i used to do it with my mouth i still do it with my mouth if i've got boots and stuff i can do it with just five fingers but it took me one day to learn how to tie shoes and so my hashtag no velcro that's (laughs) incredible and you uh, yeah there's things that like even digging in a little bit to your story that i you know, to an outsider, it seems so impressive. But to you, 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 you're like, this is just my life. Like, I don't know the difference. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you can always make excuses for things, and I just, I've never been a fan of excuses. I just, I don't like them. I, I, I think there's a sign of weakness. To be honest with you, mentally, uh, that's how I take it, and. Um, why I think the reward for overcoming is greater than the views or the feeling that you get for not achieving something. Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of, as you first pick up a golf club and, and start to fall in love with it, I mean, was it quick? Were you a quick learner? Were you quick to get the bug or was it just something that you did with your dad? No, it's something I did with my dad and uh, play, you know, in little tournaments with him and his friends. But I never really got – I played soccer and football in high school. And I really liked – we had a membership at a country club, and my dad still regrets me for doing this. But all the cheerleaders, you know, are on the football field. They're not on the golf course. So I was a kicker for my football team and got uh, – got, and right in I, freshman year, ninth grade, I, I second day of school, I went to the football field and said I can kick, and 
I think two weeks later, I, I, I went straight from uh, that to varsity game, uh, which was crazy. I got ran over. Yeah, on kind of kick and got ran over by a guy who's uh, in the NFL now. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I did not do a great on kind of kick. But golf really happened a little bit later in college, freshman year, uh, art class, 8 a.m. Uh, I got an A in it, but I never went to class. Uh, I just went to a golf course and worked and worked. And, and that's when I really got the bug. Yeah. Once you get it, it seems that it's it's never really gonna go away but cool that you had that foundation of like not only just sticking to one sport but playing everything not only that i mean Mm -hmm. kicking uh, out alabama high school football is no joke so you making the freshman team as a uh, or the varsity team as a freshman that's pretty good stuff it was pretty cool i was more of the specialist kicking but did some field goals extra points i actually we we played jv that um that thursday the next thursday and that was my first jv game and that was really cool i think i had like four tackles and a couple extra points and maybe one field goal i love hitting and so that was fun yeah the coaching never told me not to run down because why would a one-armed freshman run down to try to tackle the guy with the ball and and so i uh i made three tackles again it's pretty cool Oh, man, that's pretty cool. Good for you. So now, I mean, obviously, every everywhere you've gone, people have probably asked questions, maybe said something behind your back. And I'm sure, you know, as you, you grow older and mature, there's certain ways you know, like, oh, that guy's just, you know, whoever it is being an idiot. But as a kid, I think... And this kind of goes along with what you were saying earlier about how competitive you are and really, you know, a weakness is just a weakness. If you can't overcome something, then, like, what are you really doing here? But I'm sure that, like, if we talk about bowling and things like that, I'm sure it happened quite a bit. It did, yeah. Um, So in the orphanage, the answer to everything was fighting and in America and kindergarten and stuff like that, the answer is not fighting. Uh, which that was probably honestly uh, no joke was the hardest thing to learn about America uh, is you you can't beat up somebody just because they're being mean to you. Um, and I, I've had my few run-ins with the um, with the kindergarten uh, teachers and first graders and all that. So, but um, yeah, bullying definitely happened. I was a swimmer as well uh, with the Lakeshore Foundation, which is a Paralympic uh, swimming testing facility and training facility. So I did swimming as well, and um, a lot, a lot of bullying. You know, I really, I don't know why. It's just um, people, just I don't know. Uh, I think people were so insecure about themselves that they felt the need to, hey, there's a one-armed kid that I can bully. Um, there were several people punched and dropped and throat stomped and kicked in the face. And so I had to learn not to do that. <laughs> so I'll tell you one funny story. Uh, VBS, my dad's the pastor of the church, and it's VBS week. And this kid kept bullying or, you know, picking on me, picking on me, picking on me. And my dad always said, um, you know, never start a fight, but you can always end it. And, um, uh, 
he we were walking by i got in trouble with him because we were walking to the principal of gothic which is my dad and the kid like pushed me or something like that and i just went up hugged him you know next to him and i uh put my leg around him kicked him in the nuts dropped him kicked him in the stomach and then started throat stomping him at that point my dad finally yeah i'm 38 pounds so he just picks me up and uh he was never prouder, but he couldn't say that he was proud of me um, at that moment. And so, you know, it's Wednesday night after BBS, I go in the hall, the fellowship hall. We're about to eat. We're, you know, pretty Southern Baptist church. We're about to eat. And then, uh, you know, my parents are like, yeah, don't, you know, don't make him feel good about beating up this kid and stuff. And the whole hallway with a bunch of old people, you know, erupts and people are, you know, clapping and, Okay, way to go, Alex. And I was like, well, this is cool. <laughs> <laughs> so that was uh, my anti-bullying story. Yeah. At BBS. So what What was like uh, middle school and high school, Alex, like? We talked about sports, but were you a good student? Did you uh, have a normal group of, group of friends? National, yeah, National Art Society. I think I finished like. 3.7, 3.8, something like that. Yeah, I had good friends. Um, I never, just the way I am, I never like went with one group of uh, guys. And so um, I would hang out with the basketball team. I would hang out with, you know, the cheerleaders. I would hang out with the soccer team, the golf team. Uh, I would hang out with the band guys, you know, eating lunch with them. So I, I, I hated being in one group for, uh, extended period of time so I just made my rounds and hung out with everybody and got to know a lot of people any siblings no going from an orphanage from 120 brothers and sisters basically to zero which uh, was pretty cool I like that <laughs> well I'm sure lots, yeah, it was pretty cool the lots individual of attention, attention for you yeah enjoyed that but I also needed it I did probably 11 years of speech therapy and then another 20, yeah, 22 surgeries. So it, was, it was definitely hard, but um, yeah, no siblings. All right. So getting uh, ready to leave high school, did you know what college you wanted to go to? Did you, did you have everything yeah, worked uh, out? You're like, this is exactly what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. Yeah, I uh, I went to UAB. I was going to be an Air National Studies student with a focus in law because I really – International adoptions take forever, and it's kind of a dumb thing, to be honest with you. All it needs to happen is uh, when the paperwork gets to uh, wherever, the I guess the capital, um, some guy with a fancy suit needs to just take the paperwork up three, uh, two stories to the third floor, and that international adoption goes from two years to about six months. And so... That's really what I wanted to do and focus on that and, and all that. And uh, that is not what I'm doing. So how was college? Uh, college was good. I, I quit UAB, went to a, a junior college and got my degree in history. Um, I, I really believe history repeats itself. And if you can tell people what's about to happen, um, especially when Putin using Hitler's playbook, um, it, I mean, it's not that hard to guess what he's going to do next. Um, 
So I got my degree in history and then started working for uh, Maximum Physical Therapy. They're one of my sponsors, which is a um, physical therapy place and uh, loved it. I thought I was going to be physical therapy. I love the human body, how it works and all this. And they saw um, TPI, which is a, called Tyler's Performance Institute. And they uh, they were like, you know what? We're going to pay for you to go to TPI and get certified. I got certified right away and started teaching golf while helping people heal and recovery, uh, re- uh, recover from injuries. And I think that's where the bug for teaching really came from. Took a bunch of old guys healing up that can't play golf, but they can do chipping or they can do putting. They can do little things. And then by the time they're done with therapy, they're actually healthy enough to, to go play. And I was able to help a uh, couple, several people in client and kind of build a clientele uh, through teaching through that as well. So that was where the teaching bug for golf came in. And then you continued it right after college as well? Yeah, I've um, yeah, I've been teaching, teaching, teaching. I actually went to Bible college as well um, for two years, and then um, that's where I met Olivia, my wife, and um, moved. Well, she was here in, in Knoxville, Tennessee, but met her through some mutual friends, and then I uh, got my Bible college degree and got hired. It was kind of weird. I actually got hired before I finished the degree. I had to travel from Knoxville to Birmingham um, for one, one day a week uh, to finish, which was crazy. But I uh, was a youth pastor for uh, a couple of months and then uh, decided that I can make more of an impact on youth and, and stuff, doing, uh, you know, not having to, to preach to them once a week. I would not consider myself a youth preacher, definitely a youth pastor. Um, I love college kids as well. Uh, um, We helped build the college program in Birmingham uh, from 30 kids to about 600, 700 now. And then um, really helping uh, connect with college kids here at UT as well. I love it. I had lunch with a couple uh, college kids uh, from my college group uh, on Friday. And so that was really cool just to catch up with them, see what they're doing with their life and how they're grown. Obviously, they're graduating. And so uh, I quit that and started working at a golf course as a cart guy and uh, moved up and then moved to a different golf course here in Knoxville. And they're like, hey, PGA program uh, or PGA, you can get your PGA stuff. And so I got my, um, I did the player ability test in Cleveland Country Club and about 98 degree weather and rain pants because I'm an idiot. You know, PGA, you have to wear pants for those tournaments. Um, and so Wait, I showed so up you, in shorts. You, you wore the rain pants because you forgot to wear your pants. The pro at the uh, country club uh, gave them to me. Uh, so they were his uh, giant pant, brain pants, you know, the black foot joints. Yeah. And it was, I think it was 99 or 98 that day, uh, which two rounds of golf in 98 degree weather is not fun, especially in foot joint weather drive tech. <laughs> right. And, and some, probably some nerves going into it as well. I mean, pl- passing your PAT is a big deal. Yeah, I think uh, there's a stat that says only 30% of uh, people t- uh, pass it their first time 
And so had that, um, been playing some good golf, but, you know, it's different with the pressure and stuff. And I was actually the only one to pack out of uh, the 15 players, uh, which was really cool. Yeah. Uh, not cool, I guess. But it was, you know, it showed you how hard the course was and how well I played. So out of 15 golfers, only one pack. And, um, it was funny. I had a couple of people come up to me and say, hey, congrats. Uh, yeah, hell of a day out there. And, and then a couple of people that weren't too happy. That was the only one to pack. So, well, cool. <laughs> so you got your player's ability test knocked out. You paid your money and you started your books. Yeah, started my book. Uh, you got another text as well uh, for level one that you have to take. And I was an idiot. I signed up for 5 a.m. because I had to work. Um, and so I took a, the text from some girl in Pakistan, which that was crazy. Uh, passed and then went to work and got my card. Uh, started the book now, doing the books and everything right now um and then starting uh single hand golf um which is actually this is the logo you'll see uh the website it's actually helping disabled kids play golf and that's that's my passion i don't know if i'll complete the the pga you know level three um i would like to but i do know that um i do have a passion for single hand golf and helping kids around america uh, especially to be able to play golf and learn to love golf. And congrats, really, I always went back to golf. Um, you know, when I was seven, uh, you know, picked up a golf club. When I was 10, you know, went back to golf and played golf. And when I was, you know, 13, played golf. Uh, and so I would always come back to golf. And I think a good disabled kid, if they can fall in love with the game and, and really connect with golf and, uh, learn to love the game. Uh, I think it'll help them, um, not just physically, and but you know, being able to compete with kids that have two arms, and they can see, hey, uh, you know, I can do anything, and and it, it really feels good when when you're able to beat somebody with two arms. Yeah, <laughs> I don't sure. know why it it just does. Uh, mentally, it just you don't say anything and you don't gloat about it. You never are proud of it. Or you're proud of it, but you're never prideful. Um, but it does give you the confidence for day to day life. Yeah, yeah, I can, I, I could only imagine. Uh, it's so, and then right after that, I played my first um, disabled golf tournament in Noaga, North American Water and Golfers, uh, in Kentucky, and that was crazy, rainy, and all that fun stuff. Again, really hot, but um, was able to win that, which really gave me a lot of confidence. And then uh, two or three weeks later, played in Atlanta in the GXGA Adaptive Championship and came in second to Chris Biggins, who's great number one uh, in America for disabled golf. And so he kicked everybody's butt. He shot, I think, nine under for two days. And I, I, was, I think I shot even. Uh, and I was happy with even <laughs> out in Atlanta. And he just... Uh, he shot nine under, so he shot 12 under for total for the uh, two days. And then the final day, I shot three under, he shot nine under. And it was it was fun to watch. It was fun to try and keep up with, but uh, just got blown out in the water. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm getting ready for Pinehurst. Well, that's where I was going to go next. All of this leading to the new uh, U.S. Adaptive Open. 
So how are we feeling coming coming and thinking about Pinehurst in July? Definitely. I uh, I got some new iron from Mira and then KBX actually heard my story and sent me some shafts that will fit me perfectly and got fitted for a shaft. And I got some Mira irons and the, literally the first shot ever took with the Mira irons, um, I'm at hole one uh, on Thursday last week. Nuts, man. Because, uh, of course, we were playing driver wedge first hole, uh, 52 degree wedge on part three, second hole, driver wedge third hole, driver wedge fourth hole, hybrid wedge. I mean, I just, I was trying to lay up just so I could hit these irons. And then on number six, um, nine iron, 150 yards down the hill. And I have been so close to so many hole in ones that I really didn't believe it until I, I got down there and picked the ball out of the hole. So thank you, Tyler. Left dash for for the whole one. <laughs> Amazing and congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, Mira actually uh, saw it and reposted it on Twitter and Instagram. It was pretty cool. Awesome. So That's on top of too. on top of that, uh, but yeah, I'm getting everything dialed in right now. Equipment. Uh, I love. Uh, I'm working with Seymour as well. They sent me a putter and getting a, a stability ghost shaft put in to my Seymour right as we speak. I got you on the phone with Seymour today. So getting everything just dialed in, equipment dialed in, swing dialed in, and then uh, next up is getting confident. So start playing in some tournaments before you know, because I want to peak. Uh, and normally I do peak in the summertime just to. It's hot. It's pretty dry. You're hitting 300-yard bombs, even though you're carrying it, you know, three, uh, 270. It's still rolling out to 300. So you're feeling yourself. You're confident. And, um, so I'm trying to peak at the right time, for sure. No, I think uh, – <clears throat> have you come out I, – I, have you been a Pinehurst yet? Have you played number six? I have. Crazy story. I have Payne Stewart's uh, 99 U.S. Open player. So we're um, – we're making a deal with Pinehurst, but yeah, I went out to give the putter to them and they let me on one. I, I really want to play one through nine uh, sequ- sequentially. And so um, I played one and then the cradle and that cradle, man, that was such a fun little, uh, little course. Get your wedges sharp, right? Absolutely. It's, um, it's a lot of fun. You got to be creative. You know, on 18, I made, I, fin- I, I started off horribly. I started off bogey, 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 and then I finished the nine with birdie, birdie, birdie. So um, it's, it's a great little course. And uh, I mean, one was beautiful, challenging, hard. Um, but I, I love, I love the cradle. I can talk about the cradle. I, I could just play there every day and walk in, drink a beer, and call it a day. Right. Well, I was going to say, I'm, uh, it, when the Adaptive Open is, it, it, I mean, it's going to be hot. I know you you want hot weather because you're feeling good, but, man, it's it's going to be hot. And I know, uh, you know, that Knoxville weather, I know you got it, but it's a little different down yeah, here. Nothing. Yeah, that's what I heard. It's, it's definitely different from uh, North Carolina hot. And uh, I just thought I'd love that. The whole area, I'm definitely, I'm going to do a, um, a trip, play Mid Pines, Tobacco Road, Southern Pines, and there's one more out there that I can't remember. Um, Pine Needles? Pine yep. Needles, we got there. So I want to do that before, just, I want to do that in probably 
June just to kind of get used to because it's definitely more sandy. Uh, so you got tighter lines. It's definitely sandier courses. Um, so it's going to be different bounces, different things. The ball is going to react differently. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm pumped for that challenge. The one thing every time I, I play number six, I'm always so blown away is that for some reason, uh, unlike it's not, I mean, there's definitely sandy soil there, but the amount of pine trees and then pine needles that are down, it seems like, man, there's just a ton of recovery shots out of pine needles constantly. You know, you hit it in the middle of the fairway, so you don't got to worry about that. But for the rest of us, that's what we <laughs> deal with. Man, I don't know why. I, I have the Maverick Callaway Hybrid 5 Hybrid, and I hit about 245, and I just hit it straight. And I kind of like that, hitting it straight. Uh, I am, my target is only 150 pole. Because I know if I've got if I am close to 150 pole, I've got either an eight iron or a wedge in my hand, and and next I'm good with that. I really am. I guess not that nine iron that you have that hole in one with. You don't like that club? Yeah, no, I love the nine iron. It, it's yeah, nine iron, 52 green pitch wedge. Yeah, keeping it in the in the shorter. Uh, club is, is definitely helpful so for sure yeah no that that nine iron um that was that was cool i want to frame the nine iron well that's <laughs> what i was gonna say i'm like it sounds like a keeper on maybe you need to hit up mirror and be like yeah hey, can you send me another nine iron head this one's going in the the shadow box in the shadow box yeah i still got the ball too like uh i gotta get the golf ball in the shadow box too now we kind of skipped skimmed over it a little bit but i know you have a a lovely bride and you are a father uh so talk to me about what kind of what's that obviously a big change in your life getting married but what about fatherhood and everything that that's kind of taught you man i um being a dad is probably the most special gift um i've ever had and i've had I tell people I've hit the lottery multiple times, just, you know, coming to America, you, you hit the lottery and as an immigrant, you know, uh, I, I, no matter what's going on politically in the White House, uh, just to be in America, getting those opportunities, it's truly grateful. I mean, you hit the lottery and then uh, getting the, having a dad is probably the second biggest but yeah blessing i think i've ever had she's i'm learning so much from from her and, and from my wife um it's you can't really tell people who don't have kids what it what it is especially a girl um it's just it's life-changing everything i do now is very intentional selling rooms or playing golf in tournaments yeah it, it, there's somebody else to think about and there's somebody else, you know, when you get home after a bad round of golf that they don't care what, <laughs> what you shot. They just, they're excited to see you. And I mean, it's, yeah, it's hard to leave. <laughs> and so, and, and honestly, that's uh, one of the biggest reasons I'm still here and my beautiful bride and, and my beautiful baby. So. Yeah. It puts things into perspective real quick. And, you know, if, if golf gets taken away from me for some reason or one other, um, I still have uh, my wife and my kid, and, and that's the greatest blessing that I have. 
Yeah, absolutely. The other thing, yeah. and I think I'll kind of uh, close on this, is that I I don't think I know very many people that are one-armed that work for a roofing company. Yeah, yeah. I, I love roofing, actually. I, I'm, I had to learn to love it, uh, for sure. Um, but if you, you know... The, the the tax and stuff are hard sometimes getting on roofs and pulling ladders and double pulls and pulling ladders and stuff is not fun but helping people you know that have trees fall on their roofs and houses are leaking roofs are leaking and all all they want is uh help and i, I love helping people and so uh that allows me to do that and it frees up time because uh, working at a golf course um that's a lot of time. Let's just say that's a lot of time away from home. And so being able to provide for my family and play a lot more golf. I only played uh, three rounds of golf on a 18 hole course when I worked um, at the golf courses last year. Luckily I got, you know, good enough to pack some PAT and win one and then coming second. Yeah. Uh, roofing's fun. Uh, it's hard sometimes. Uh, you know, it's always, uh, especially when you're on a 20, you know, 30 foot roof looking down on concrete, it's not too much fun then, but I guess in closing, you know, is there anything that we're missing that you want people to know? Prayers and help, uh, you know, financially for Ukraine. Um, they're going to be in this for a while. Uh, Ukraine people are amazing people and, um, they're not going to let the Russians just roll over and, and take their land uh, for no reason. And um, so I think this is going to be a longer battle. And so um, we're trying to get the orphans out. And as soon as we get that out, then we're going to have come up with plans to start rebuilding. And so uh, any help that you can give um, helps. Uh, and, uh, you know, would love to am and always will be transparent where where that money goes and um just keep praying for ukraine uh right now because they're not having fun right now yeah absolutely where'd you get that uh where'd you where'd you come across Payne stewart's putter at anyway uh long story for another time Uh, but my my dad had it uh in his office and his study for got it from a friend uh uh, and he got it for 20 years. And then my dad said, I'll give you the player as soon as you get your PGA uh, stuff. And I, I got my PGA stuff done pretty quick. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's a phenomenal story of not only the American dream, but overcoming crazy odds. Clearly a success story. Uh, everybody, please go to... Alex's website again, single hand golf, yeah, single hand golf, buy a t-shirt, donate some money. If you can, uh, we'll put your, uh, your Instagram and Twitter in the show notes. You can follow along his story. Best of luck in all of your tournaments this year, specifically the U S adaptive open. I'll be there. Heck and, yeah. Uh, you can uh, come, come heckle me. And, uh, Look not only that from uh, happy Gilmore. Yeah, exactly. Not only that, when you get ready to, uh, schedule out the, those, pre-trips that you're going to make to Piners, send me a note. We'll, we'll get some rounds in together and it'll be good to go. Absolutely. We'll play some golf for sure. All right, brother. I appreciate it. Thank you for your time and best of luck with everything.
Thank you so much. I hope you have a fantastic day.